Welcome to Disruption Now. Joining you on a Saturday, I got some special guests with me. Uh, to my uh, left, or depending on how you're seeing this, is James Keys, and uh, a, a familiar face many of you know from the local radio station here and from his own digital show, Nathan Ivy. Nathan Ivy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me. James, how you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing all right. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Ooh, cool. All right. So, hey, it's the 92nd birthday of the Honorable Dr. Martin Luther King today, as many of you know, uh, and we want to celebrate his life, legacy, and the lessons he brought to us by really talking about the current moment. Uh, James Baldwin said it best, history is not in the past, it's with us. It is the present right now, and you're seeing history unfold right now. Uh, what's interesting is when I hear people talk about what's going on right now in our country, specifically, I'm talking about the terrorist attack on the Capitol. Notice I don't say I don't say rioters. I don't say protesters. They are terrorists. They, they, it was a terrorist attack on the White House, not on the White House, on the U.S. Capitol. And that's what it was. But I hear people saying when they see and, talk and feel all of this energy going on, I hear them saying that. This is not America. This is not who we are. This is we are better than this. We we don't do this type of thing. And I'm thinking, no, no, this is very much who America is. I mean, it may not be who we want to be. Some of us, it, it may it may it may not be what we want to admit admit about America. But America and political violence is a, is as American as apple pie. Dr. King's death was a political death. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake that the rhetoric, the environment at that time. Uh, contributed to people wanting to kill Dr. Martin Luther King, contributed to his death. That's why people uh, were, were spurred to kill him. And eventually it obviously led to his death. That's what happened. It was a political death. It was it was it was a, and it was an environment of hate set up towards Dr. Martin Luther King. And all these people that talk about Dr. King now and you're going to hear you're going to hear you're going to see my collective eye rolls emojis all over social media as I see all these people quoting Dr. King, saying all these things, acting like they believe in what he said. And, and we know if Dr. King was alive right now, they would hate Dr. King and they still hate things he stands for right now because they're standing with people and standing for policies and standing for principles that are everything that, that are against everything he believed. So as we talk about where we're at in America, people say, this is not America. This is not who we are. Do you guys agree, disagree? What's your thoughts? Jump in. Let me know. I would say it's you, you said it correctly. Uh, this is the America's better angels, so to speak. This is not. But we have to be honest. America has been making compromises with equality and with its better angels and, and to some of these nasty elements since its founding. You know, you go to the three fifths clause and that is a deal, so to speak, with the people who believe that all men are created equal versus the people who believed in, in, in subjugating other people and denying them their God-given rights. And so, or in, in the words of the founders, the rights endowed upon them by their creator. And so the whole experience is about the struggle between these two elements of American society or of, of these two these two better angels and, and you know, demons and, and, and American, you know, the, the American mindset. And we're just seeing that this was the other side. This they 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 strike back. You know, when when as we, push forth, as we push forth closer to equality to, to make a more perfect union, these guys strike back from time to time, whether again, whether it be the Civil War, whether it be this stuff pops up. And so right now we're in the middle of it. As you said, history is happening. And, you know, we have to keep this isn't a, a, a time to, to pull back. This is a time to keep pushing because this is a reaction to the progress we've made for people who truly believe in equality and in the founding principle of America that all men are created equal. Nathan. Well, I think and uh, again, Rob, thanks for having me. And uh, shout out to Brother James. I think there's two things that we need to make sure that, that we correct and we keep on point. One is, is that what we saw with the domestic terrorists, you 100% right to put it that way, Rob, uh, the white domestic terrorists is as American as uh, apple pie, is as American as the destruction of black economic nerve centers. You know, what we saw were the great grandsons and great granddaughters of the people that destroyed black Wall Street and the economic nerve centers, black economic nerve centers all over this country. This is what happens when you get a lot of angry white mobs. This is what it is. The second thing that needs to be corrected because there's two things happening here is this dynamic where they want to control the narrative, right? And try to make it seem better than what it really is. Yep. The other thing that needs to be said is that many of the folks 
those domestic terrorists were not low income. Amen. That's the other thing. They were point. not the, the, the low income, low class. These were elites. These were sons of Supreme Court justices, business owners, former members of law enforcement. So that's the other game they try to play with you to try to make it seem like, well, this is from the economic bottom. This is what happens when people are desperate. Many of those people, and, 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 if, and if you can create that narrative, it's kind of like, okay, you, know, you can understand it. But just like if you go back through the birth of the Klan, you go back to what happened to Wall Street, that wasn't the low class. That was middle class, upper class, white, angry people that were acting out. Yeah, I mean, uh, a few points on that. Uh, when you talk about where we have been in, in pivotal points in history, the last time we've seen this type of energy, we they were some in the 60s quite a bit, right? But I think the best line, the, be, the best comparison is really Reconstruction, right after you saw great advancement of Black leadership, uh, a, a Black elite, a Black economics. And as you said, Nathan, it wasn't because, it is not because of the economic conditions of white people, it's because uh, the seemingly advanced condition or how they see black people advancing was the issue. Not that they are not advancing. They don't want to see advancement. Some people and they and we. So when we saw the rhetoric of Donald Trump in general, it wasn't that, you know, there are some black people that are as conservative as you can that, that you know, that believe in some of the conservative principles of the Republican Party in terms of, you know, economic investment, small business, whatever. Uh, but when they heard Donald Trump, they heard George Wallace. They heard they heard the type of rhetoric that was dangerous. So this was not. So when you talk to black people, this was foreseeable for us. This is why when we said that this election was about our lives, like it wasn't because people necessarily were jumping over Joe Biden. It's not a criticism of him. This is just an observation that black people believe that their lives and their economic uh, stakes were, were 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 here drawn out because we know what that energy does. Because after Reconstruction, I, I point people to Wilmington, the, the Wilmington massacre, and people should look this up. Uh, the coup. The it was a coup. All, it was a coup. Was the, it was a coup. coup. It was yeah. the, it was the most successful coup, I guess. But that happened all across the South in many different ways. But they took out almost all the black legislators, their families burned the black newspapers. Why did they burn the black, the black media newspapers? And why it's so important what Nathan does, what I do? Because if they can take away the voice and take away the narrative, that takes away people's power. They did that, they did that all across the country. This is what's playing out now. So when you hear them say things like, this is our country, this is who we are, they're not talking about economics. As you said, there is a study that was done, by the way, that showed that people who made under $50,000 voted more for Joe Biden. People that made over $100,000 that were white, guess who they voted for? Donald Trump, because this is not about economics. It's about identity, and unfortunately, it's about white supremacy. And I'll, and I'll end on this point and make a pivot here in a second. When we talk about Dr. King, it's so important to remember that he was not assassinated because he was a great speaker. He wasn't assassinated because he had a dream. He wasn't assassinated because he was great at community service, which somehow Martin Luther King Day has been become the day of community service, right? That's what it is, that's what it is now. Uh, he was assassinated because he challenged the system. He challenged the status quo. He challenged the system being rooted in white supremacy. That's why he was assassinated. No other reason. We've had articulate speakers. There have been many articulate speakers and many articulate people from the pulpit. It was because he challenged the identity of who America was and that threatened people. That is the reason why he was assassinated. And we find ourselves uh, understanding from that. James, though, you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, there was one other thing before we uh, or, you know, as we're honoring Dr. King, you had noted that this was something that people could see coming, that, that, that the rhetoric and so forth. And I want to read you something from Dr. King's fourth book. Where do yeah. we go from here? Yep. And uh, it's going to sound like he wrote it three, four years ago. Um, this is after the advancements and during the civil rights era and uh, for black folks. A year later, the white bat backlash became an emotional electoral issue in California, Maryland, and elsewhere. In several Southern states, men long regarded as political clowns had become governors or only narrowly missed election. Their magic achieved by a witch's brew of bigotry, prejudice, half-truths, and whole lies. 
That's what we see right now, what's going on Amen. in our political discourse. And so, yes, we, we saw this happening. A lot of people saw this happening. Like, whoa, 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 we're going down a path. Like, we, we need all hands on deck to try to take us off of this path. Because we've seen, if you, if you study history, you, we've seen where America goes if it's allowed to, to go down this path and not listen to, not, not listen to its aspirations of equality and, and, and freedom for all, but, but go into these more, uh, th- these elements where white supremacy is the only justification for anything. Yeah. So, Nathan, I'm uh, curious, I'm uh, to pivot to this next point. Do you think it, it's clear to me, and I believe you would agree, that um, Republicans have certainly played with fire and have played, they've played footsie with white supremacists and they've they played with fire. They got in bed with Trump. And you talk to them behind the scenes. A lot of people, because I, I know some of them, they would tell you, oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. But, you know, and I would say, well, why aren't you talking? Speak, speak up. You know, you're elected. You know, you, you use the mic and they make some lame ass excuse. Uh, but they played with fire to get themselves power. And there's no question. Trump did give them power for a little while. They got three Supreme Court uh, justices done. They got a, a lot of stuff done. Um, but they made a deal with the devil. They clearly got burned now. Is there any way to is there any way to contain this? Will this be contained or what do you think we need to do with what's been created right now in this current environment? Well, so you say contain this. Are you talking about I'm talking about the, the crazy white supremacists oh. and, the, and, the, and the and the and the energy and the political power behind it right now. I'm talking about that just to be clear. I mean, there's yes and no. So, yeah, there's a way to contain it. And that would be our white allies. Uh, those who are in power to stand up, speak out and do what they have to do. But history, long term, medium and short term tells us that they're not going to do it. Like you said, you know, Republicans here locally and nationally. I know a few myself behind closed doors. They'll tell you like, hey, Nate, you know, yeah, he's full of eh. But they won't do it because of self-motivation, self-interested. Right. God's little selfish creatures only worried about their own self. So uh, I don't have any confidence whatsoever that this is the end of the Trump goon mafia squad, wherever you want to look at it. Uh, I think there's going to be more incidents in the near future. I would hope that law enforcement is on high alert. It's been way too much time trying to vilify Black Lives Matter, trying to vilify Antifa, where most people don't even know what Antifa stands for. <laughs> it made that shit up. I, I never right. heard of Antifa till then. Right. Well, go ahead. Well, it means anti-fascism, and who is against? Who isn't against fascism? So there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense out there. What they need to do is to be be watching the these these white domestic terrorists. That's what they need to do. You know anything about COINTELPRO? Man, they was running around not just surveilling uh, civil rights leaders. But they was following people like Jim Brown, Lou Alcindor, yep. anyone, any black entertainers. That's what they need to be doing to infiltrate these groups, stop them before they do something dangerous for all of us. Yeah. James, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, the, the what we see right now is the, the descendants, the adherence to more of a Timothy McVeigh type of, of of mindset in America. And that's there. I mean, again, like as we talked about already, you can't deny that that's there. And so, yeah, it would be great if law enforcement took it upon themselves to to really get into that and make sure that they could and, and short circuit their plans, because there are plans to disrupt America, to to remake America into something else. And, and by the um, way, in this very point, I'll let you get back. Mm-hmm. The plans for this were all over social media. They <laughs> said what they were going to do in advance. I mean, they left breadcrumbs to publicly. say, we are going <laughs> publicly. to do this. <laughs> yeah. and then, oh, well, so, but now the deal with the devil piece, I think that, I think, again, looking backwards, looking in history, that's something that happens in America from time to time. I mean, FDR, we look at him and we we applaud the new deal. He made a deal with the devil, you know, with the Dixiecrats at the time. He excluded blacks from certain things so that he could get the, the, the new deal legislation passed. And, you know, we look at that and say, you know, minds can disagree, but it's say, okay, he was working for something positive. So people give him a pass to some degree on that. And so other people don't. But the deal with the devil we see right now is, I mean, it, it was expressed. It was explicit. It was the Southern strategy. It was after the Democrats got on board with civil rights legislation in the 60s. The Republican Party said, OK, well, there is a lot of people who are, don't want civil rights stuff and har- yeah. who, who resent black folks. And so th- that was when they started down this path. Donald, oh, Trump, Donald Trump has kind of taken it to, to taken it a, 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 an additional step. He's gotten rid of the dog whistle yeah. and made this about a megaphone. 
And and honestly, that may be necessary in order for us to actually see what's going on. Human beings need to be reminded of things every few years. We forget generational that doesn't pass on knowledge and wisdom. Generally, people need to see it. So it may be helpful. But ultimately, yes, it's a deal with the devil. It's a deal with the devil. There's this energy. The Compromise of 1872 was a deal with the devil, which led to the end of Reconstruction and the removal of foreign troops, excuse me, of federal troops from the South, which allowed the Redeemers to go on a violent rampage and kill people all throughout right. the South who, who would not submit to basically their will and disregard democracy. So the, this is, again, this is part of America. And, you know, I think that we see what's happening. And so our what we need to do, you know, is look and say, OK, well, how do we fight this? It's not going to just go away on its own. We need to organize more. We need to call out what we see and we need to continue to push for equality, push for rights, because there are Americans of all shapes and sizes and colors and everything that do support that vision of America. We can't be led astray or become disenchanted by the fact that there is this strain that exists and has existed for so long. We have to beat them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're, they're, your your point is well taken. We have to beat them is how I, I think. So my, so my answer is we have to become not only fire preventers, but we have to we, we have to not only become firefighters, I should say, become fire preventers, go out there and be proactive. You know, now that I get people don't think that because Joe Biden has been elected president like that, that's the end of it or because they won the Senate. It's only the beginning because <clears throat> people are going to fight back harder. And again, I'm taking this out of political and democratic terms. I'm talking about making sure the racial equity, the humanity of black people are respected. We have to push and push hard. They're go- we already know they're going to try uh, in Georgia. They've already talked about now because so many black people voted. They're, they're literally saying this out loud. They want to get rid of absentee ballot voting. They want to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, so they are going to try everything in their power uh, to keep power in terms of the hierarchy of racial supremacy in this country. And we have to know that the fight is persistent. And, and you made a good point, James, like when you talk about reconstruction and I make a draw a line back to that, the way to really win that war uh, in terms of making sure we really did it is to take the people who had power, the people that uh, particularly the elite class that were in uh, that were that were that were over slaves, they shouldn't have had power back. There shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been able to get power back. They should have been taken out of power. Period. When we deal with these domestic terrorists and we deal with people that were associated and empowering and enabling what happened, I mean, I believe in forgiveness, but not when it comes politically. They need to go and find another job. We can go, and those people need to be held accountable. They were enablers of hate. They were enablers of destroying our nation. That is what they are. That is what they did. And I have no political forgiveness for them. That's my opinion. I don't know. Am I off? Well, let me add this. What I would also say is it's, it's about controlling that narrative. Like you said, I mean, what we do in, in terms of creating independent media is it's about crafting our own narratives, setting our own priorities. So what we need to do to our audience is, is make them is make sure that we don't lose, that we don't bury the headline. See, the real headline with the black electorate is that look at what happened in Georgia. Look at what happens when you organize. We do have power. We can change the system. We can put people in place, even at the level of senator that represent us. Let's not let that that headline get buried in all the Capitol Hill talk, because that's the other thing they would love. You know, that's two things have been we have been woefully miseducated about the history in this country. On one hand, the history of angry white violence has been suppressed, but also the 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 efficacy of black and organized progressive movements. They are successful. There was uh, there was resistance even back in the day. You go back to the summer, the red summer, you know, the autumn of 1919, when all this white mob violence against black neighborhoods, there was resistance. These stories have been suppressed for a reason because they don't want us to know how powerful we are. Yeah. Amen. That's a good point. Let's talk I'll about say the- this. Though. I would like oh, to add one other thing. I look at it a little more broadly. Um, I think that and I, I'm not saying you guys don't, but just to say that I, I want to say it out d- d- expressly that I, I think that it's not a Republican Democrat issue or even a black and white issue. It is an issue of people who believe in equality and that America should be about equality or people who should, who believe that there should be a strict social hierarchy or excuse me, racial hierarchy in America. It's the high, the people who believe in the hierarchy and the, versus the people who believe in equality. And that's been, that's the battle. That, that's the battle. And that has taken different shapes and forms. Um, obviously, a large part of that, by definition, is going to be the 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 the, the travesties, the, the devastation that's been visited on black folks as a part of that racial hierarchy. But 
it's bigger than that. It really is. I mean, this is about establishing a racial and, and other types of hierarchy as well, you know, whether it be a male hierarchy and, and all that. But this is about establishing a hierarchy versus living in with equality and, or living with equality and having equality in the guiding principle. And yes, what we're seeing now, it, there's going to always be pushback against that anytime equality moves forward. And and so that's what we're, we're seeing now. That, that's literally what we're seeing is pushback from the racial hierarchy, the advancements that have been made over the last 20 years or so. Uh, Nate, they have a different perspective. Go. Yeah, I hear you on that, James, but I, I slightly disagree or, or maybe more than slightly. I mean, I think it is a black-white issue because for me, what we saw at the Capitol started when Barack Obama was elected. Started before that. It started before that, but it but it reignited it. In, in this country, in, our, in American history, whenever there's an example of black excellence, some white folks got a problem. And the, the, the election and elevation of Barack Obama to the highest public office was a grand example of black excellence. What happened afterward? Tea Party. What did Trump do? Birtherism. Racist Southern strategy. So, I mean, th this all started and was reignited because we saw a grand example of black excellence. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I agree with you on that. But my point is, is that it's not some white people do that and others maybe are uncomfortable initially, but then they they appeal to their their higher. I, I believe in equality, so I'm going to get over this. Not every white person gets into that mode and just stays in that mode and says, oh, well, we have to undermine this. You said it yourself. Correct. It, it's, a, it's some white people that are a part of that and others aren't. And so I think we can't lose sight of the fact that if we if we frame this as a black and white issue solely, then we're saying white people come help black people because we need your help. I'm saying it's it, white people help yourselves because you believe in equality. You know, everybody should, it, people who believe in equality should be against this, period. It, it doesn't matter that it's the black people being attacked or it's somebody else being attacked. Right. If it's kids in cages at the border, then we, if you believe in equality, we should be riding on that too. And so that's all I'm saying is that it's not, it, it, it it's oversimplifying it to say that white people are on one side and black people are on another side, because that's not really how it plays out. It's the people who believe in equality on one side and the people who believe in a racial hierarchy on the other side. It just happens to be that the people who believe in racial hierarchy all happen to be uh, of, of a certain race. <laughs> you make a you know, like, so, <laughs> You're doing some political gymnastics there, uh, James. I mean, huh? I, I, I hear you, but I would just say to not, not to overcomplicate this, here, here, here's what it gets down to. Whiteness has always been compared to blackness. So it will change to there, like, because it's all that's made up, honestly, right? This is, if we're down to it, racism is a social construct that's completely made up by human beings in order to have a hierarchy structure. I think that's the point you're getting at. And if people believe in equality, they believe in that. People, but people say they believe in equality. They will tell you that all day, but their actions speak otherwise, the people they elect. You can't tell me you believe in equality and you believe in it to your soul and you're okay with what's going on with, with, with Trump. Like, cause you don't. Okay, but I give you that. But Donald right, right. Trump but, but, has but, never but gotten more people votes. will generally the, agree with Trump everything is, you just said, always though. lost election. Every, Donald Trump has always gotten less votes or excuse me, his opponent has always gotten less votes than him in yes. every election he's run. So we can't just broad brush it is what I'm saying. We have to see who our opponents are and I go agree. after them and not just say that everyone. But I'm going after, so let me be clear. I'm not going after white people. I am going after the idea of white supremacy. Yeah, so that, that, that's, that's what, my point. But, but, but white people, some will hear that and assume you're going after all white people. And, and, and therein lies part of the issue because it's an uncomfortable conversation to talk about white privilege, white supremacy. And I used to uh, go along the language, okay, let me figure out how to term this in a way that people can understand. But I've come to understand that people just, some people will not understand. So we got to get people to directly address the issue as it is. And, and, and what, and there's no, there's no mistaking that what Donald Trump had did was appeal to that. And I, and I also believe, as Nathan said, that what it did either consciously or unconsciously, the election of Barack Obama ironically didn't necessarily advance things. If you look at the numbers for black people, right? It didn't. And I voted for Barack. I would do it again. I'm talking objectively with the numbers, but what it did do was infuriate enough a portion. Of course, it wasn't all the majority of Americans because otherwise we wouldn't move forward, but there was a loud contingent. And to quote what, what uh, Dr. King said, Dr. King talked about 
people that were in this mentality. Ironically, back then they were Democrats because they were Dixiecrats. Yeah. But he said, but he said it's unfortunate. And this is a quote I want to paraphrase, but this is basically what he said. He said, it's unfortunate that the South is led by reactionary racist leaders. He said, uh, and he said in these words, I believe that they actually represent a minority of those in the South and there are moderates. He said, but the people that have come to prominence and power have done so by the dissemination of false ideas. Ooh, that sounds familiar. And he says, and they do so by appealing to the deepest, uh, the the deepest response in the, the the deepest hate response in the human mind. So that's what Dr. King said about leaders then. And the issue was not that we don't have these moderates and good people. It's just that right now, specifically, and I'm talking about within the conservative movement at this time. Uh, they don't speak loudly enough. They're not the leaders. We don't hear them standing up to people. They tend to either be silent or they tend to be the loudest. And that's the issue. Well, yeah, I, I would say it a different way, actually. Like, they don't want it as much as the people who, right now, the people who want to impose a racial hierarchy just want it more than a lot of the people who want to everybody to, to, to live and let live type but of I thing. But I said that's the problem. And that's what we have like, to change. Yeah, and that's but, what we have you, to change. But you see, that's the issue. Like, and we have to make them, so getting back to where you were going, and I think bringing the point that you and Nathan have together, is that we have to fight enough to make sure that it becomes unpopular to have these extreme positions because we fight back so hard that people are like, okay, no, we need to move forward. This is better for America. But if we accept, get, you know, complacent, the people that are on the, uh, that are, that, that believe in this, believe in this so hard, you know, never underestimate a small group of committed people. They can yeah. change the, they can change the course of history uh, and they, and they have, and they will. And we got to make sure that the people that really believe in this, both black and white are willing to fight for black people. We, we have no choice, but to white people have to change and challenge their privilege to do so. And it does take courage for them to do it, but we need them. I, I said, we do need them in order to do it together. So I think we're saying that, but I want to make sure we are before we, I want to go on to the next point to talk about the FBI. I think we spent a lot of points on this. The FBI looked at this uh, assessment. As I said, it was clear as day what they were going to do. They told you what they were going to do. They've been doing it. Somehow, though, they didn't assess the threat. I mean, they're doing it now. They're responding after the fact, but beforehand, they didn't see the threat. Black Lives Matter, you know, the whole National Guard army was ready, arms out, uh, you know, do you think they've learned anything from this? They, they clearly, I mean, I think it's a rhetorical question. We don't have to, I, I can ask you guys the question why they didn't assess the threat. I think we've answered that already. But do you think they've learned anything from this experience and, and will be able to uh, actually address it going forward? So when you say- yeah, I was going to go ahead. I'm law enforcement, FBI. Law enforcement. Um, I think that I would say, I think that- some have learned that the insurgency, right, of the Trump supporters was deeper than they thought, right? I think I think I can pick that up, right? Because I'm surprised that they're surprised, quite honestly. Like, <laughs> they really it. meant it. <laughs> I'm like, you you really surprised by this? We, we've been telling you, but I I think they've honestly, been doing it. There are some they've been doing like, it. They've been right. taking they've over been local, 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 local governments with, with guns. I mean, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, Michigan, you know, there've been <laughs> yeah, threats exactly. to Gretchen Whitmer, th threats to the governor of Ohio, threats to a lot of uh, elected officials that wouldn't play ball with, with the Trump momentum. So I think there are some, I don't know who they are, who may be surprised at just how deep Trump's tentacles were and the types of people. Again, it goes back to this narrative. In this country, when you have this kind of like, uh, uh, you know, white domestic terrorism, these white mobs are together, there's a perception that it must be low income. It must be Appalachia. You know, it must be Bo and, and Jimbo with a pickup truck. You know, some people are surprised that some of these folks, many of them were professionals, business owners, members of the elites. Right. Yeah. So maybe they may have a come to Jesus, maybe a come to black Jesus moment where they're like, hey, this is deeper than we thought it was. But we already knew we've been trying to tell them they just wouldn't listen. Yeah. And it's been there, by the way, James, I'll get to you. It's been there. If you remember back to Charlottesville, there were people with polo shirts. They were talking exactly. about, they, they, they didn't look like they were low income people. Like they were, this is not a purely income thing. Though I do believe there's some parts of this that play off in order to use black people as the pawn in the middle and to make people feel like they can project on to black people or Mexicans or people of color that you are, the reason for your uh, non-advancement is because of them. I think there is some of that. So I don't want to take that away, but this is not solely an economic condition. This is deeper than that, James. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I do think they will learn um, now to what degree they will amp it up in order to prevent and they being law enforcement. Um, I, I think people need to be reminded of things, you know, just in general, you know, it, it, every 10, 15 years, by and large, I think history has shown people need to see things again in order to appreciate the problem. Uh, we go through, we learn the same lessons over and over again. If you look at things on a 50 year arc or something like that. So, or even sometimes less than that. Um, in the same way though, that after 9-11, it became difficult to take over a plane because the passengers knew at that point, like, well, hold on, if you're gonna blow this thing up, I'm not about to let you take this thing over. The, the same mode of attack will no longer be able to be executed directly. And, and that's what I mean by that. So I hope that the the people who are, are trying to to exercise or you know, exert to have a coup on the government don't have another trick up their sleeve or don't have another plan of attack going on. Because if they try the same thing again, they're, it's not going to work in the same way because people have seen that and they're going to prepare for just that. The, the concern I have is that because they didn't, the, the reason they didn't assess the threat dealt, dealt with their own biases or biases. And so my exactly. concern is that they're not going to be forward thinking enough to see what the next threat will be, what the next, what would be the next thing they do? Not necessarily, but hey, they're not going to try the exact same thing they did last time. They're going to try something else if they're smart, you know, if they, if they try something else. And so to be able to anticipate that or to be prepared for other contingencies as opposed to the exact same thing. Because again, I just, I, I don't know that they, have demonstrated that they take it seriously enough to really all out assault. When they did the stuff with Black Lives Matter, part of that is to do such a strong show of force that people, to, to, as a deterrent. Right, to, to, they so overestimated, they, they, I think to sum up the point, they overestimated the threat of Black Lives Matter and severely underestimated the threat of these domestic terrorists. Well, no, 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 I'm saying right. that even if, right. they, whether they overestimated or they properly estimated, but they did, but some part of it is to just show so such an overwhelming show of force that you actually use that to serve as a deterrent. And so they whether they thought Black Lives Matter was going to do anything really or whether they say, hey, we're just going to show up and we're going to show them how big and bad we are. That could have been it as well. In this case, they didn't do either. They didn't. Right. And that's because of what I, that, that's what I believe what it goes to their bias. And let me just get to this point with go mm -hmm. ahead. Finish up your point. No, yeah. that was it. I just I, I just hope that if either they're going to show up and say, hey, we're just going to show, we, we think there may be something. So we're going to throw so many people at it that anybody who shows up with with nefarious intent is just going to think twice about it. If you see 20,000 troops, then it's like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't do what we're right. planning to do. Right. Um, but I, I or they are actually infiltrating it and figure out what's going on and able to 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 to, to knock it out from a targeted standpoint. I just hope that they take it seriously. You know, like, you know and, and, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nathan. But but, but you know, it, 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 you know, back to Rob's point, it's got to be a reflection of how they viewed who was coming to the Capitol. Because if you look at recent history, look at Charlottesville. People got killed. People got injured, damaged. Um, look at what happened with Gretchen Winmer. So, you know, all of this happened with this same element of these white domestic terrorists who said they were going to the Capitol. They get whipped up to a frenzy by the, the chief executive, Donald Trump. And yet the show of force was nowhere near the same way it was when Black Lives Matter was coming to peacefully protest. And there's yeah. no recent history of Black Lives Matter demonstrators doing anything like what we've seen in newspapers from some of the elements in this group. No. And, and, uh, and, and part of the problem is it goes to the culture of policing. So there's been I can't remember if it was a Times article or not, but it was a uh, there was an article that did a lot of research to talk about the radicalization of uh, of parts of the military, of parts of police force uh, that are uh, that are sympathetic to the, the hate against people of color black people, brown people. And we've seen that radicalized for the reasons we've all talked about now. And, and so I believe, James, what has to happen is and I, that there has to be a change in process. So uh, I've talked about data a lot on this on, on my show, and you probably heard us talk about how algorithms can be racist. And, and you'll, you'll, I'll connect to the point in a second. So uh, Microsoft created a racist bind. Sort of. Right. They created what they did is they, they they drew from data from Twitter, listening to how people were talking to each other. And it was accurate. But what they didn't build in was that people were obviously biased and racist. So this bot would spit out racist and biased things. 
because so we're so we in technology have created these biases processes, but the but the, pro, the the processes became biased because people are biased instead of on the front end making sure you address the bias. So what we should be doing is making sure that we are looking to see uh, if people are biased because they are. We know that, but then play out the process to introduce bias to make sure that people address it and deal with it on the front end so they can as law enforcement be better. But we often don't want to do that. It has to be put in in the uh, in the front end as part of the process. So on the back and you don't get these type of tragic results. People see uh, when they think about bias and diversity and inclusion, it's like a side conversation. It's like we have a diversity and inclusion department. Um, once a month, we talk about stuff. No, it has to be integrated into how you make decisions for law enforcement, how you address threats in order to prevent things like this from happening. Because if you have bias, you're going to have you're going to expose yourself uh, to more threats. That's what I hope the lesson is. I don't know if that's the lesson they're going to get. That's what I think, at least on this. Um, you know, when you think about the narrative being set out there, right now, if you go to uh, right-wing news, you go to Fox, you even go to some mainstream news, they've <clears throat> tried to correct on this because people have pushed back hard, but you've noticed there's been this, um, uh, there's been this intent to want to go back to frame uh, the terrorists that attacked the Capitol in the most sympathetic terms to call them protesters to say, well, they're just frustrated to say, well, how can we figure out how to understand these folks? Uh, what do you think about that narrative? And do you, th and, 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 I, and I think I, in creating this and even trying to compare them to be legitimate protesters, is that off? Am I not, am I being not well, empathetic enough? What? Well, no, I think that that is at its root oftentimes about, I view that as the, the whole concept of for-profit media um, framing things as in a both sides type of way as two sides going back and forth battling has demonstrated to be a profitable way to present issues, whether or not both sides have a legitimate point, whether both sides are even coming in good faith. Yeah. And so I see that often where issues are, are like there'll be something that happened <clears throat> and then it'll be one side, one person arguing one side and one person arguing the other side as if both sides are coming from. Like I said, both sides are coming from a place of legitimacy and a, and a place of good faith. And so some of that is, I think, the limitations of our, our media in that they are beholden to the dollar. And so in this we can extrapolate this out when you get into media that is targeted to serve a particular audience or a particular taste sure. or a particular bias if your media is targeted to serve those things. And so that's what I think that comes back to, because you see ridiculous arguments and, and presentations all the time um, where people will, again, try to both side th sides things because that is that that's been shown to be the, to get people yeah. to watch more. Well, I think it's I want to get to you, Nathan. But I think it's deeper than that, too. It's also how we view politics. And I'm going to go back to a Dr. King quote. I'm going to paraphrase him, but he pretty closely said this. He, he didn't just criticize uh, uh, Republicans, conservatives, Dixiecrats. He also criticized liberals. And his criticism of liberals was that, uh, you know, liberals problem is that he, they didn't, there's not true liberal. There's not true liberalism. They, they try to see all sides equally. They try to see so sides equally that they, they fail to take any real side. And this is especially true when it came to racial equity. That was his point. So I also think there is this, even when you look at when people say there is whatever progressive media, their goal is to figure out how to see all sides equally. And sometimes there's not an equal side. Sometimes there's just right and wrong when it comes to these things. Nathan. Yeah, I mean, that's that bullshit, you know, to put it bluntly. <laughs> That's get that right to it. <laughs> get straight to it. That whitewashing—that's why it's so control, so so important for us to have independent media so we can control our narratives. Because if not, like you said, progressive media wants to be nice and see it all sides. Right wing media is got an inherent bias; they want to play it down. But you know, the people just need the straight up truth, just like the straight up truth about the doctor, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Like you know, for me, he's like stuck in amber at the "I have a dream" speech. And I think anyone who's done any just reading about him realizes that after going up north, he said he dealt with a, a strain of racism that was far virulent in the South. But, yeah. but we are comfortable with thinking about white yeah. Southern racism as being the most virulent. So yeah. I just wish that as we get closer to Doctor, you know, as we celebrate his birthday, that we would get to a point where we can celebrate the totality of the man, the complexity of the man, including his pivot, his pivot. When he yep. started to realize, like, wait a minute, maybe this is maybe maybe our approach should be differently. Right. Then thinking that if I'm just a good guy and I turn the other cheek, 
then, you know, uh, white supremacy will realize that and stop being afraid of us. Well, yeah. I mean, the ultimate place that he ended up also as far as with the focus on economics and, and economic equity. I mean, that's there are many people that say that once he went there is when he really put a target on his back uh, because that, that he started talking about dollars. And, you know, even in like I, the, the book I referenced before, um, which I mean, it's an excellent book. Uh, it was his fourth book, um, you know, one on our sister podcast called, like I said, we did a, 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 a an entire dive, deep dive on it uh, last year for his birthday. And one of the things he talked about there, he raised the idea of universal basic income. <laughs> we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is, you know, Andrew Yang's talking about that, you know, last year and so forth. But yeah, he he really, he pivoted there ultimately. But back to, you know, the the, the point at hand, I, I think that actually, and, and and Nate, you talked about this, and I think you're really onto something. The, the, the way things are presented in the media actually determine a lot as far as how it's received in society. And people understand, certain people understand that power. And so by presenting issues a certain way, if you're always trying to find both sides, then yes, you basically abdicate your moral authority, your ability to call out right from wrong. Sometimes the guy with his foot on somebody's neck and the guy who ha- who's somebody standing on their neck are not coming from a similar position where you can see both sides. Sometimes the one guy just attacked the other guy and you have to call that out. And so you have that limitation. And then also, when again, when you're catering to a bias, when you set out to say, hey, we want to k, we want to make, we want to feed confirmation bias. We want to make certain people feel good with our message. Then you tie one door, you tie both hands behind your back as far as being able to provide truth. We've seen that play out. You know, one of the things I think that's really overlooked here and that is not um, given its proper due, because I think this is actually the real problem here, is that there were many people who stormed the Capitol who believe in their minds that the election was stolen. Yep. Now, someone who wants to believe that, it's not difficult to, to convince them of that. We know how the human mind works with these biases, confirmation bias being one of the most powerful ones. So if you want to believe that and you're told that by people you trust, then you can walk away believing that. And I think that the, the ability to put forth lies with no accountability or it, from both a leadership standpoint and in the media is a problem that we're going to have to figure out a way to address it. It the the whole idea of election being stolen being put forth so many times but no evidence ever None. being this this claim never being substantiated is is jarring to me i'm mean, i'm an attorney so i look at that and i'm just like well hold on you know like it, it, so okay you make an allegation and then you're like okay so get, tell me why to give me your give me your facts and that that part nobody's even concerned and, with and not only that like james they the walk into court and admit that we don't really have anything. I mean, they say- And then they, they walk out of court with a loss. That's what I'm saying. 60-something <laughs> times. And it's like, well, whoa. So, but, right. it doesn't, but none of it matters because it, there, people are still told that over yep. and over and over again. And they're not telling that to me, somebody who is trying to look at things objectively. They're telling that to people who want to believe that, yep. who want to be told something to make them feel better about what happened. And so in a way, it's taking advantage of those people, but it's radicalizing them as well and making them a threat to all of us. And so- to me, that part about it is, is something that until we get a handle on it, we're going to continue this to see this type of a spiral. Yep. Nathan, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, part of me feels like, again, that's some more of that bullshit. Like, I hear, I think there's some people that genuinely believe that. But I feel like, you know, if you look at the history of this country, man, you know, people have used whatever excuses, whatever mm-hmm. lies they needed to do exactly what they wanted to do. So let's go to Black Wall Street. So for a long time, it was the popular historical belief that it was a white, a white, a white female and a black female that was in an elevator and that the black male tried to attack the white female. Well, currently, forensic investigators have found out that probably what happened was that the black male tripped and look what happened. So, so those that want to do some evil, those that want to do something, want to ter- tear shit up, you know, any old excuse will do, right? So, you know, these are some of the same people who believed in birtherism, right? And really, the birtherism was just, uh, uh, you know, a not so clever facade for their own racism because a black man had been elevated to the highest public office. So, but see, stuff like that comes up all the time, though. And unless you give it oxygen and yeah. legitimize it, then it goes away. There well, are a lot me, more. Let, there's a, a lot point. more of these conspiracy theories that we're not really aware of because yep. they're not given oxygen in the mainstream. Correct. They are shunned by the mainstream. And when I say the mainstream, even the mainstream conservatives. 
conservative stuff, they're like, oh, this is too much for us to even touch. And so the point that I'm making is those type of things are going to pop up always anyway. The issue is that once they're legitimized, once they're repeated by people in power, once they're yep. repeated by people in, in media, that, that some people, you might not trust those people, but some people do trust those people. And then that's giving it oxygen. That allows well, and, it and to and spread. I actually, and I, if I want to bring these points together, because <clears throat> this is this is how this is how I see it. Uh, Nathan, you're still responsible for the evil acts that you did, right? No matter what. However, however, we cannot deny human nature. We can't deny that people are tribal. We can't deny that propaganda is powerful. So to your point, Nathan, uh, things that were done for, uh, uh, if you look at Black Wall Street, if you look at a, a lot of other similar incidents, that's obviously one of the most famous. But if you look at how Jim Crow even gained power and prominence, it was because there was a repetitive uh, uh, propaganda against black people all the time. Efforts were done all all over all over the nation, particularly in the South. Again, and again to talk about uh, these people don't have any morals. They're going to come. They're going to rape your babies, kids. Like so, there was something that planted in your mind. Yes, people had that bias built in, but that bias is always there. But these people in power were able to disseminate this and get people riled up and get the masses riled up. That's the point of propaganda. The point of propaganda is to put people's mind in a place where you can either, you can control it. You can get them to do what you want to do. You can get them to commit atrocities and so forth. And so that I'm saying is, is the issue. Now you might think it's some bullshit. I mean, like Germany, Germany is also the example. That's always the, that's the, because a whole nation of people aren't all that way. So we do want to get to the point. And my only point of this is not to, uh, this is not absolving people of the things they did because they st- should still be held accountable. We should still correct, talk about correct. it. What we are trying to do is understand the conditions to make sure that the shit exactly. doesn't happen again. I mean, exactly. so like, and what we have to do is make sure these leaders are held. That's why we have to go after these leaders so hard when they perpetuate this bullshit and this talk. And so I think they're I think bringing these two points together, I think that I think that's where I would say there's agreement there. But yeah. And Rob, let me let me reiterate that, because, yeah, the, the, the point of identifying this is not to absolve anyone like you do what you do. It doesn't matter what you thought. You know, but at the same time, we if we're going to address it, if we're going to be able to cut out the root, then we have to figure out where the root is. And this stuff happens sometimes and then other times it doesn't happen. So what's the difference on the times when it really happens versus the times that it doesn't happen? And that's what that's really what I'm trying to get at here is that, okay, well, if we're going to address this, if we're going to look forward and try to figure out how to how to make it so that people aren't this lathered up to want to do this type of stuff constantly, then what what areas or what are the things we can do to try to address that? Yep. So uh, addressing that, it looks like the uh, big tech industry really went after a lot of uh, uh, right wing crazy leaders. I should say this and 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 and, and took away uh, like Parler got kicked off of Google and a lot of other platforms and Amazon, uh, Facebook, Twitter took uh, Donald Trump down and and quite a few others. So my question to you is, is that something that is that was that the right call? Is that what they should have done? What did you think of that? And then, by the way, I just had to make this kind of funny point when you have all of these conservatives that are so riled up about it. They're saying this is against our First Amendment rights. No, it's not, baby. It's not how the First <laughs> Amendment works. All you people that love free market say government, get out of the way. This is what it means. It means Facebook gets to determine who hears you. It means YouTube is determine who hears you. That's private market. That's not the government. Sorry. Yeah, the First Amendment deals with the government <laughs> criminalizing or otherwise in, in, in infringing on your ability to speak, particularly politically. But no, I think that actually this isn't an issue of First Amendment concern. This is an issue of antitrust concern. And so I am uncomfortable by this because it, the, the power that one person has to, to say who gets hurt on Facebook or, or whatever is a concern of mine. In this instance, though, I think clearly they've laid out terms of service and they've been violated. And so I think the biggest, no, the most notable thing here is that it took this long. Like people have been violating this stuff for years. And then it's, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you've been violating our service. You're violating our service. We're kicking you out. It's like, well, hold on. I've been violating your service for, for the last eight years. <laughs> you know, but so that I think is why it shocked people more so that it happened was just that it's not like anything that was said in the past week or two was much more heinous than anything that no, was said prior to that. And so it, it was shock, shocking to people to see it. But this was, you know, th- this is what they say they're going to police this stuff with their terms of service. And they just hadn't, at least in this instance, at least in, to those people. But like I said, there are real concerns about this uh, in terms of 
a, a CEO just saying, okay, you can't speak anymore on this platform. It's not, but it has nothing to do with first amendment. That just has to do with, okay, if, if social media is going to replace our public square, then are we going to allow private businesses to regulate who can speak on the public square? And that's a total, totally different issue though. So I, I, I apologize in some sense for bringing that up, but no, you know, no, I mean, I asked what, what you thought because it's the right move. Cause uh, honestly, I want to get to Nathan, but I, I do think he had to be taken off, but then part of me, the part of me says, okay, but where do we draw the line? Are they going to say, okay, if someone's too progressive in their talk, are they going to cut them off too at some point? Well, no, point they've already the- drawn the line. They, right. they have the line in their terms of service. It's just they let them violate it over yeah, and over true, again. True, true. I mean, they make it's, up stuff. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And so like that was it, it was kind of, you know, in that sense, it was just unexpected that it's all. Oh, oh, well, you finally enforced that. Oh, wow. You know, like so. But they had already said that the it stuff took that, a violent insurrection. But yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> again, the whole so, thing of this was everybody waking up like, well, not everybody. Some people waking up like, oh, they really meant all that stuff they were saying. It's yeah. Like, yeah, of course they meant what the Bible even saying it. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. yeah James he stole my thunder there, man. You know, excellent points. I mean, you know, it's real simple. Like, I know people who have uh, 500 Facebook friends who've been blocked off of Facebook for using the N word or posting something. Wow. So why shouldn't the president? He's got millions upon millions and millions of people that follow him. They've got terms of service. You don't have a right to be on Facebook. You don't have a right to be on Twitter. Just like if you go to Walmart, if the clerk asks you to leave for whatever reason, you leaving. And they call the police. The police are going to ask two questions. Uh, what happened here? And then they're going to turn to the clerk and say, do you want to leave? And at that point, you're trespassing. It is hey, what it is. They're going to ask two questions like if you're lucky. If you're lucky. <laughs> they might if you just don't grab. like what Facebook is doing, if you don't like what Twitter is doing, then create your own social media. It's real simple. They should have cut, the, cut this clown off a long time ago. I agree. Because it was dangerous. You know, he was using their platform, uh, breaching their terms of service, the point that James made, and then using it in a way that was dangerous. There's a difference between opinion. You can have your own opinion, but you right. can't have your own facts. And that's yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't. Twitter are to blame because they let it go too far. They should have shut it down a long no, time ago. No, I agree. Ago. I mean, he was telling lies, telling hate, promoting hate for a really, really long time. And they, you know, they only got courage when he's uh when he wasn't reelected and suddenly and then there was a violent insurrection like okay let's cut him off i mean no i mean that and what it's not a profile in courage the profile in well, yeah they use the the violent insurrection as cover basically exactly like, they they, they thought that people were less inclined to 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 loudly object at that time because you know they, that, that that's a strategic play you know i think when they should have cut him off they should have cut him off by him, I mean Donald Trump. They should have cut Donald Trump off when he was candidate Trump and yep. he was using Facebook and Twitter to project birtherism. It was it was harmful to black people. It was wrong. It was dangerous. It was bad then. And now we're seeing what's happening. What, what is it? So many years later. Yep. No, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, but yeah, they, they helped. They didn't. You're right. So you think about the climate as it is, and my understanding from some uh, research is that this was more than just a spontaneous attack. There was there was coordination done. Uh, there were some uh, 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 Congress people that actually had their panic buttons torn out. Uh, there were tours given to people in advance. Uh, so, and there were there were plans to to really commit assault, kidnapping. It was uh, apparently from the reports we're seeing now. This is not. Um, wasn't spontaneous. It wasn't just done over the internet organically. There was uh, some strategy. There was planning, uh, and there was some real effort put behind this. And it, and it could go pretty deep. Uh, so, is it worse than we actually think, or am I being a conspiracy theorist here? What do you guys think, Nathan? You can go first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say worse. Um, was it worse, it worse than, than just the, oh these people just got riled up by Donald Trump saying some words and then they just went to the you gallery. know but I'll be honest with you I'm not surprised you know as this information comes trickling out and we find out that it was coordination maybe from even elected officials I'm yeah. not surprised about any of it not one bit now some may be but I am not so I'm not surprised not one bit 
I got to be real with you. Yeah, our, I our think it was worse. I, I think it was worse than than what we know. Uh, most things are, you know, it's kind of like the iceberg type of an effect where, you know, what we see, it doesn't really show the depth of it. Um, the objective here was to, to through the show of force and through taking over the Capitol building to somehow allow Donald Trump to subvert the election, to somehow allow Donald Trump to right. remain in power. Like, I don't know how much more serious you need it to, to, to be. I mean, that's about as serious as it gets. And so from that alone, that that was the objective, that steps were taken that involved violent acts and a siege of the Capitol building in order to 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 accomplish that goal. That's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what else like. If it, even when people would try to do the, the, the BLM comparisons, like, oh, well, there were windows broken in stores and, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, well, this was a, if, if another country attacks you, they move on your the last time the capital was breached was by the British yep. in 1814 when we were at war. Like the last time a store's window got broken, that's not the same scale or something <laughs> like that. And so, I mean, this was an attack on the government of the United States. The government of the people, by the people, and for the people, in an attempt to install a government, a, a different government, and yeah. so I, I, it's more serious than what we think. Because I, to Nathan's point, people aren't talking about this in terms of what it actually was. Yeah. You know, this was a an attack by a entity. This is the Confederacy, basically. The Confederate. These guys made it further than the Confederacy did, and they they, they flew a Confederate flag in the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, Tunde, our, our guy Tunde Ogunlana with disruption now. He said he's like Jefferson Davis wanted to do that. He never could. These guys did. Yeah. You know. So I mean, yeah, it's it's this is as real as it gets. Yeah, I think it's serious because you look at it this way. If someone wanted to attack us, clearly the way to go is you just make sure you get some uh, conservative white guys to come up and, and infiltrate and pretend like they're with you and then they can go and do anything. They could have gone in there. They're lucky they didn't blow up the Capitol. Like, you know what's interesting about that, by the way? There's, uh, there's been a lot of reporting on Russia trying to infiltrate the NRA and actually accomplishing it, infiltrating yeah. the NRA. That's the way to do and it. it. Yeah, like in order to to infiltrate the government, get their tentacles in the government, and you do do so through the NRA. And yeah, I mean, that's a vulnerability. Everybody knows that's a vulnerability. Yeah. You know, everybody, you can but appeal. everybody doesn't acknowledge right. it. As I, I want to get ready to wrap up on a couple mm -hmm. things. I want to end with Dr. King. He has some, has some words about what you guys think his legacy at this moment. But before we get to that, do you think this could end up helping in terms of where the country goes? Do you think we could... Uh, have this moment and pivot towards a point where people actually understand where America is and can see America because it's there's just no denying where we're at right now. There's no denying that uh, if you look at how these, not these protests, these terrorists were treated and how protesters were treated in this country, people have a clear distinction of uh, of how people have privilege and opportunities that others don't. They have a clear picture of the problem we have and this clear blind spot. It's not a blind spot for us, but it's clearly a blind spot. And some it's a willfully blind spot when it comes to racism, when it comes to racism, when it comes to uh, white supremacy and the issue. Do you think people are now might understand this and there's an opportunity to do something substantively from here that this may actually help? Can definitely it can help uh, this. The people who are on the front lines pushing for equality, uh, for America to live up to its promise that it laid out. You know all these these grand ideas. You know of a society of the people, by the people, and for the people. It can will it? We don't know because that struggle is ongoing and and has remained ongoing. Uh, but seeing this. It, many people just aren't able went through the rhetoric. We see it through when people talk like this, for whatever reason, many Americans are just not able to, con to, to, to conceive the fact that they really mean it. But when they see it happen, then that does click in for some people like, oh, wow, th this there is a there, there is a strain here that is, you know, they're, they're dead serious about this stuff. And so it can help. It, it, it's something to point to when saying, look, if you if you want to sit on the sidelines, then people like this will take over because they want it. And, you know, it, 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 if, if you don't match their energy, match their intensity, then they will they're going to 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 make gains. And so I think that it's a reminder in the same way that the, the, the George Floyd tragedy was a reminder that, hey, if, if we sit by and don't stand up for what we believe in, 
then people who believe in things that you don't believe in or that you may abhor, they are going to keep going. Yeah. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the smartest way to answer it, it obviously is, yeah, I can't speak on the future. I, I want to believe that there are people out there who this may open their eyes. But you know what? We America has a uh, a reflex to underplay the impact uh, when white people behave uh, badly. So those who are, you know, narrative builders, media builders, we got to make sure that we use our platforms to keep the truth out there and to focus on the real, because if not, it'll go from a reminder just being a distant memory, right? And we've been talking about a whole bunch of distant memories that the things that have happened that America have forgotten because, you know, it comes back to the control of that narrative. To our allies, to our non-black allies, they was already with us. They might, we got, we might've got a few more. To, to, to the, the, the folks who were, you know, really sympathized of the crowd, my fear is that all this is going to do is make them double down on their conspiracy theories and their belief that, you know, somehow they're being persecuted. Yeah. But see, but that part that that misses out on most of the people, our allies might be 20 percent. The people that are really committed on this other side may be 20 percent, but there's 60 percent that can kind of go either way. And when they see a dog sicked on a young boy, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. By and large, not totally. But these are the moderates that Dr. King talked about. And so whose message is more compelling to them? Which side do they start leaning towards? Do they start leaning towards the the side of people that are are trying to take over and blow up the Capitol building or execute the vice president or the people that are saying, look, we need to, to establish a more fair, a more just society. And so I don't think you can look at it as, as a both sides thing, as those are two sides things, because most people aren't committed to either, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that point. So let, let's actually go with Dr. King. And I want uh, uh, I'll let Nathan just close up about where you think we need to reflect with that, with the legacy of Dr. King in this moment and where we are as a country. What do you think? Well, number one, I think it needs to be a, 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 a we, we, uh, too many people in this country have been miseducated. So black, white, whoever, I think we need to get deep in the books and get a better understanding of who Dr. King is, who he was, uh, including his transformation near the end of his life. It's that latter part that we don't really give a lot of attention to, which I think is the most important element. But in terms of what I think we should do with his legacy, you know, I, I think it's all about equity, policy, and tangibles. I think that anyone who was watching this stream, um, if you are black or whatever your color may be, uh, you can make a difference. No matter what happened at the Capitol, I think the legacy of King is starting at home. All politics are local. That's where you can have the biggest impact. Starting your city, starting your county, starting your state. Uh, the, the, Stacey Abrams has shown us the blueprint. Sis has shown us the blueprint. So if you're really concerned about equity, policy, and tangibles for black folks, Stacey Abrams has shown us the blueprint. We should, we should engage. We should learn it, number one. Educate ourselves and, and, and absorb it and then put it in action where you live. I live in Cincinnati. I live in Hamilton County. That's where I'm working. Wherever you might be viewing this stream from, that's what you should do with the legacy of Dr. King because the worst thing in the world we can do is to let another year lapse and nobody's done a damn thing. That would be the biggest travesty. Yeah, James. Yeah, Stacey Abrams is very instructive on this as well, because if you jump back two years, then Stacey Abrams, you know, did all this work. And 2018, she she lost the, the, the election for the governor of Georgia, you know, barely. And, you know, she lost to the person that was charged with counting the votes. So, you know, like that's one of those. And people ask a lot of questions about that. But instead of taking that, loss and sulking or and throwing her hands up and says, see, none of this matters. She doubled down and she I mean, what she pulled off and or what she and the people she's working with and other people, her allies and so forth, the people that are just working to get people to be able to vote, what they've been able to accomplish. I mean, it, it's it was jarring to see what happened in November and of 2020 in Georgia and then in January in 2021. And so to see that level of effort pay off after a setback is something I think we all have to keep in mind. I mean, and Dr. King, you know, Dr. King spent time, you know, nights in jail. Dr. King experienced setbacks, but he kept pushing. And so, and I think that ultimately is the lesson that we always have to keep in mind is that through the ups and downs, we have to believe in what we're trying to do and we have to keep pushing because, and we can't let the fact that there are people who don't believe in the things that we believe in 
discourage us or make us want to give up because those people are always going to be there. There's nothing that they're going to see that's going to make them say, you know what, maybe you were right. Now, but again, my point is that that's not 50% of the people. That is a relatively smaller amount that are committed to that. And what we need to do is continue to move forward because we can move the mass with us because our cause is righteous, equality, justice. Those are the things that we're fighting for. And those are the things that are worth fighting for. Yeah, I would end with a quote that you don't hear very often from Dr. King. I'm like Nathan. I, I don't. I don't spend a lot of time quoting from his I have a dream speech because that 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 doesn't do uh, the essence uh, and justice to what the man actually stood for overall. Those are beautiful words. They're eloquent. They're great words. Uh, but we get lost in the eloquence of his word and, and his and, and his ability to move uh, the crowd. Those are great things. Uh, but that doesn't really speak to what Dr. King was doing. There were years, years of just setbacks. Actually, I would argue and that there were a lot more setbacks than there were actual results. If you look at what happened, he was questioned by uh, black leadership. He's questioned by the NAACP. He was questioned by uh, people that were seen as more progressive than him. He was called an Uncle Tom by them. He was called he was called too uh, too much of a too, too forward, too bold by people in, uh, who were in the NAACP and some people in the establishment. That is what it was to be Dr. King. When people when we celebrate a leader like him, it's so easy to just assume that, uh, you know, they just push through and those were the results. I always say disruptors and innovators are usually celebrated after the fact. During the work, usually people don't like them. And so he was actually, uh, the FBI saw him as an enemy to the United States. Ronald Reagan even said, well, I'm not sure if he's a traitor or not. I'm paraphrasing, but he came pretty close to saying this, that history will judge who Dr. King really was. And he was thinking about vetoing Dr. King Day. He ultimately didn't. But I'm just telling you that the story that you hear from people when they talk about Dr. King, that's not how it was when he did the work. It was a lot of hard work and it was a lot of work on the ground that wasn't rewarded. And a lot of people did not like him and he was not universally loved and lionized like he is now, but he focused on the work. And the work was hard and the work created a lot of tension in this country. And this is where I wanna conclude. The, the quote he said that we need to hold on to, he said, peace is not the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. So when you, we're gonna have tense moments here as we should. Our country is divided specifically when it comes to issues of race and racial equity. We, we've been divided for a long time and there's going to be tension. Do not shy away from the tension. Do not shy away from being uncomfortable. If you are, if you are comfortable, you are doing this wrong. You are doing this wrong because this is this is a hard problem. This is the most wicked problem that the United States has gone through when you deal with racial equity and having real self-awareness. What I hope we can gain from this moment as we are swearing in uh, a new president, the 46th president of the United States, also uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, Joe Biden as president, is that we can move forward and actually have a, a truth and reconciliation commission, similar to what Nathan Ivey said, but we need to really investigate, go deep and understand our history and not just whitewash it, not make ourselves feel comfortable, not tell, a, not tell stories that we want to hear, but tell the stories as they actually happen. And then like Germany, and then like South Africa, we can move forward together, reconcile, uh, coming together around the actual common truth. We can't tell ourselves different versions of the truth. We have to come to the actual reality of what happened in this country, embrace it, and then and only then can we grow uh, to have that vision that Dr. King hoped that, you, that we all like to aspire to when we hear about the, the dream and the speech he had. We can get to that dream, but first we have to deal here in reality. But until next time, I'm Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. I'm Nathan Ivey. And we'll see you next time. Appreciate you listening.